Welcome to the Church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. Today is December 5th, and Pastor Brad Blakely continues his sermon series on the Christmas spirit with part two called Joy. Let's take a listen. Man, guys, well, today we are in the second week in our series called the Christmas spirit. And we welcomed the Christmas season last week with, with this series. And we're talking about uh, the role, the movement, the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. And we, we really wanted to look at the, the role of the Holy Spirit specifically this year, because we are reminded of something when we think about the Holy Spirit. And here's what we're, we're reminded of church, that there is a force that is at work in this world, an X factor, if you will, that can change everything in a blink of an eye, right? He has before, he'll do it again. The mighty Ruach of God, the mighty spirit of God that blows on the wind, through the wind, can blow into our life and can change everything in an instant. And in this series, we are talking about choices that we're gonna make this Christmas season. We're not making the choice to allow the news or to allow the politics or whatever, right, dictate how we're gonna, we're gonna face life. We're gonna say, look, we are people who have been adopted into God's family. As we sang a minute ago, we are seated in the heavenlies. I'm really gonna start preaching here today, right? We have reason for hope. And we said this last week, hope is a choice. Joy is a choice. We're gonna talk about joy today. Generosity is a choice. Love is a choice. And we're gonna hit these four topics this Advent season. And we're gonna look at how we are gonna make this, this choice to just glory in our God, to, to celebrate what Jesus has done, what God has done in sending his son. And we're gonna make these choices as we go into this Christmas season. And I was thinking about just how we need this kind of reminder, right? And I don't know if that's where you're at, but I've been talking to folks and I was, you know, I mentioned this a little bit last week, but there is, if, if we allow it, and I think this is just how the enemy works, there is a tendency to give into despair, to give into this sense that life has changed and it will never be like the good old days before COVID or whatever, right? And we can have a sense that we can give into that feeling or we can just be angry or grumpy, right? And, and I wanna just say, guys, listen, man, if Christmas is about anything, it's about facing difficult circumstances and saying they don't have the last word. Jesus has come. He is coming again, right? And he's gonna bring all things under his authority. And so that's kind of a big idea from last week. The spirit of God changes everything. We wanna remind you of that. The birth of Jesus is this powerful moment when the spirit hovered over Mary and breathed new creation into existence that echoed the first creation when the spirit hovered over the, the chaotic waters of Genesis one and created everything that we see today. And so we're talking about new creation. We're talking about what, what happened in Mary. And we looked at specifically Mary's song last, last week. And if you remember this, Mary sang about the promises that were given to her as if they had already happened. That's some powerful faith that Mary teaches us in that Christmas story. She sang as if Jesus had already come, even though he was just an embryo. He, she sang as if he'd already conquered, even though that was a long ways off. In fact, in some regards, we're still waiting for that final day when he conquers at last all forever and the kingdom is brought underneath his feet forever. 
But Mary sang in that song last week as if the promises of God had already taken place. And that's exactly what hope is. We, we said this last, last week, hope is the ability to, to, to take tomorrow's victories and bring them into the, today's difficulties. Hope is that ability to take tomorrow's victories, the victory that I know I'm gonna have tomorrow, and I'm gonna bring that into today's difficulty. It's a choice, friends. It's the choice to believe or the decision to believe that good is ahead. So our challenge last week was that we become people of hope, right? That we choose hope this Christmas season. So today we're shifting gears over to joy. So last week we were looking at Mary's hope and this week we're gonna look at Elizabeth's joy. I'm so excited about this story. This is such a funny story. And you know, I love stories. If, if you haven't been here, I just love telling stories. So we're gonna look at this story today. And there's some, I think there's some humor in this story. Maybe I, I find humor where it doesn't exist, but it, it's there, I, I, I promise you. It's gonna get kind of funny a little today. We were introduced to uh, Elizabeth just for a moment last week, if you don't know the Christmas story well, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin or, or relative. It's not super clear, the relationship. Uh, Elizabeth is an older lady. And we said last week that when Mary knew she was pregnant, right? She ran, she traveled down to Elizabeth's house. And, and I, I believe that Elizabeth played a pivotal role of encouragement for this young girl, Mary that when Mary needed some older uh, wisdom from a, from a lady who'd been walking with God for her whole life, she received that at Elizabeth's house. And that was just kind of a side note last week that we need to be encouraging the younger generations in their calling. And so that's, that's Elizabeth. We, again, we were introduced to her a little bit last week. We're gonna zero in on her story more this week. And so let's get into Luke chapter one. This is in verse five, and we're gonna, we're gonna meet this this couple, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth here in Luke 1, 5. At the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So here's some interesting facts. There's, this guy, Zechariah, is a priest. He's married to a daughter of a priest. So if you think about this kind of spiritual pedigree, we have Zachariah who, you know, maybe if you wanted to try to today, he's like a pastor, right? You know, he works in the temple um, and he's married to a girl who's a pastor's daughter. I mean, again, to try to like make that cultural connection, right? So this is kind of a, a power couple, so to speak, right? And we learn more about them. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the commands and decrees Blamelessly, So we have some real superlatives for these two, right? They love the Lord. They've been serving the Lord. They come from a heritage of faith. And um, they have, you know, Luke's stamp of approval, right? They love the Lord and they're, and they're following him blamelessly. But look at verse seven. But, and here's the turn in their story. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were very old. You know, right there in this beginning of this story, we see the heartache, we see the, the pain. And I wanna just say in the beginning of our message, and you're gonna see this in this story, you know, God can paint life's greatest joys on the canvas of our sharpest paints. And you're gonna see this in this story, but I, I wanna say that up front. Our pain, our struggle, our difficulty doesn't have the final word. 
especially if you know Jesus. And we'll talk about how that all works out later. And sometimes we don't get, it takes a minute to finally get there where we see that, where we see the fact that God has taken our sharpest pains and painted joy on them. But we're gonna see that in this story. And I wanna just say that at the out front here. Again, people that walk by faith, people that have real hope, they don't allow whatever circumstances they're facing, in this case, infertility, to be the final word for them. But it was for these two. Um, and we'll, we'll look at their story. So um, let's move along. God is gonna send his faithful servant, his faithful messenger, an angel named Gabriel. He's gonna send Gabriel to Zechariah. And uh, <clears throat> life's gonna get a whole lot more complicated for this older couple here in a minute, right? And I wanna just imagine a conversation in heaven for a second, okay? This is where my humor comes in, okay? So here's, here, let's just, can you, can you guys do that, okay? So here's, here's God and he's kinda, you know, it's, it's Tuesday or whatever. He's like, hey, uh, Gabe, come here. I've got a job for you. Yes, Lord. <laughs> um, Hey, uh, I got a message for you to deliver and you're gonna love this. Oh yeah, that's what I love, that's what I live to do, you know, because Gabriel's a heralding angel, okay? That's what I live to do, I live, live to give messages. Go tell Zach that that kid he's been praying for his whole life, is finally gonna happen. No way, that's great news. I love giving good news. I love it a whole lot more than that judgment stuff. God's like, me too, more than you can know. So that happens, that's not in the Bible. I'm imagining that happened, okay? That happens just before this Bible verse, okay? Look at this next verse. So all of a sudden, Zachariah is in the temple. We, we, we skipped all these verses, but he's in the temple. He's gonna offer a sacrifice. He's the only one in there, right? This is his big day, because you only get to do this probably once in your career. So he's in the temple, he's in the holy place. And all of a sudden, while he's in there, Gabriel appears. He's, he's startled and he's gripped with fear. And the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will call him John. Check out what Gabriel goes on to say. He will be, let's all say the word, a joy. That's the sermon's about joy. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink because he's gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit from before he's even born. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Think, if you're a priest and you're married to the daughter of a priest, man, this idea here that your son that's gonna be born is gonna bring people back to Yahweh, I mean, that should be the best news a priest ever hears. It's like a pastor getting the news that your son is gonna bring like a revival like Billy Graham to the, to the, to the country. Like, oh man, I've been praying for that, right? And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. St. Augustine, he says this, the Christian should be alleluia from head to foot. Man, we should just be known as people who just live in a state of joy. 
Zechariah is getting the best news of his life. His son that he's been praying for his whole life is gonna happen. And not only is he gonna be born, not only is he gonna have a son, this son's gonna bring Israel back to Yahweh in a powerful way. You know, joy shows up also in the Christmas story, as you know, with the shepherds, another angel, probably Gabriel's involved, right? And they're all there to visit the shepherds and look at it says in Luke chapter two, and suddenly the angel, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. This is the angels. This is the night of Jesus's birth. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid because I've got good news to bring you today, right? With great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You're going to recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in, snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. So joy is all over the Christmas story. That's why joy is one of the four Advent signs, right, in this season, right? We have this joy, hope, and then joy. I wanna think about joy for a second. The Anchor Bible Dictionary will define joy um, as this idea of, I that next one for me. <clears throat> the, the response of joy, gladness, or happiness is not only a deep inward feeling, but look, is expressed in celebration when God's people gather together. In the Old Testament, joy was significant in, around times of Yahweh's deliverance. When Israel was being oppressed by some enemy, some, some situation that caused them to fear and God would send some deliverer or send some savior to them, they would be delivered and, and with great joy, they would rejoice in Yahweh in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, it's the coming of the Messiah who delivers people and brings salvation. That's the continual basis for joy in the entire New Testament. We as people of this New Testament era, we as people of the spirit of God should be people who are in continual state of joy. Paul told us that love and joy, peace, and all the rest are fruits of the spirit. Joy, joy. <clears throat> Last week, as we looked at Mary's hope, I think there's a connection between these two, Mary's hope and Elizabeth's joy, the virtue of hope and the, and the experience of joy. I think there's a connection here. In fact, I think that this might be how you can distinguish joy from what otherwise might be known as ordinary happiness, right? Uh, we know that in America, we, we, you know, part of our charter documents is to, to pursue happiness, right? That's part of the American dream. And yeah, happiness is really connected deeply to our circumstances. Right? If everything's good, I'm happy, right? Joy isn't necessarily connected to circumstance. I don't like to split the hair too much between joy and happiness. I think there's a lot of overlap. But I think in the Bible, we see that there's a deep connection between joy and hope. I think the thing that mainly distinguishes happiness from joy is that I can be happy without hope because happiness is just connected on my circumstances, but I, I can't be joyful without hope. I think that joy is hope's natural expression. I think hope needs joy, right? Just as, lo as, as love needs a kiss or beauty needs flowers, right? I think, I think there's something about hope. It's this deep, you know, deep settled disposition in your heart about the future, but that 
isn't enough, right? I think what happens when hope is truly felt, when we truly embrace the hope that we have, I think it boils up and overflows into joy. That's why hope, joy isn't dependent on my circumstance. It's dependent on where I've placed my hope. And if we've placed our hope in something that can't be taken from us, then guess what? Neither can our joy because there's that connection between hope and joy. Are you guys following with me today? I think hope is subtle. I think hope is this deep, like I said, this deep inward disposition, right? But I think joy is exuberant. I think hope is the introvert. Joy is the extrovert. I think as hope rises, it spills into joy. And so I wanna just ask you, when's the last time you just let yourself have joy. Well, let's go back to Zechariah. Good old Gabe and Zach having that convo in the temple. He's just heard the best news of his life. He's gonna have that son he's always wanted. If you don't know the Christmas story or this part of the story, you're probably expecting him to start dancing and doing that little like Jewish dance or something, right? Coming out there. And, well, that's not quite what happens. Look what happens. Verse 18, how can I be so sure of this? Zechariah's answer, after hearing the greatest, you have just won the lottery. Hmm, really? Not so sure I did, right? (laughs) I'm an old man and my wife is well long in years. Why, Why are we killjoys? Can I just ask that question? Like, why, why, why do I resonate so much with Zechariah in this story? Like, why is it so hard just to believe good news? Why, why is it so hard just to say, Jesus came once, he's coming again, right? right? Why is it so hard to believe Jesus is the most remarkable human to ever live, did miracles that were well attested, thousands and thousands of people were radically transformed by him, hundreds of people saw him alive after his public crucifixion on a cross, he is risen, he's defeated death, come on somebody, let's get excited, right? How is it so hard for us to rejoice in that? Why am I such a Zachariah? There's a few reasons. I want to look at three killjoys in life. I want to look at three reasons why we shut joy down. Joy wants to rise in our hearts and we shut it down. I think the first one is right here in our text. It's unbelief. God tells us incredible things and we just have a hard time believing them. Just like Zachariah. I think unbelief kills hope which then quenches joy. Remember, hope and joy are connected. So if I kill hope, if I really am not sure about that hope, if I don't believe those promises like Mary did, then I won't experience that joy. I think there's a lot of reasons for unbelief. And I'm not gonna explore all those today, but I think for, at least in this story, Zachariah brings his age into the question or into the equation. He said, look, I have a hard time believing because I'm old. And I think there's some bitterness behind that. We talked a little bit more about this last Christmas, but I, I, think, that, I think that what you hear in Zechariah is a lot more than what's even on the page. I wanna read between the lines there. When he brings that statement about him being old, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think he's saying, listen, I've been praying a long time and that prayer long ended. You, you, could, you could have answered that prayer when I was in my 20s or 30s, but that prayer long ended. You're late. 
right? And I think, I think that disappointment, right? I think that kills our faith. We've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed. And after a while, I just don't want to get my hopes up, right? I just don't want to. And Zachariah is like, I'm old. And now here's the ironic thing. This is an angel telling you this. Like, come on, right? Like, <laughs> yes, Zachariah, but there's a reason to believe. You were in here alone a minute ago and now Gabriel's here. And I'm not gonna get into it. You can read it for yourself, but I love Gabriel's response to Zachariah. It's so funny. It's great. You can read it for yourself. He doesn't take it. I'll just put it, Gabriel doesn't take it well, okay? He does not take that well. But his past disappointment makes us cynical. I'm not gonna get burned again. I'm not gonna get my hopes up. C.S. Lewis in his chapter on hope, he talks about this. He talks about, and I really wanna encourage you to read Mere Christianity. And if you read Mere Christianity, I wanna encourage you to read the third book. There's like four books inside of Mere Christianity. They're little. The third book is all about virtues. And he writes a chapter on hope that is so profound. It's only a few pages long. It'll change your life. But he talks about these these longings that humans have, all humans. And he says that when you're a young kid and you have these longings, like remember like the last day of school and you just cannot wait for summer and you're dreaming of summer and you're, you know, that childlike longing for summer and you just can't wait for Mrs. Smith to shut up so we can get, right? You guys know, remember, right? And you're just like, oh man cannot wait to go swimming or whatever you're, you know, or Disneyland or whatever it is, right? These longings that happen. Lewis argues that these longings are, are gifts that God has given to the human race to create, to arouse a thirst for heaven, for more. Because he says these longings are never fully satisfied on earth, right? We, we get this, oh man, you know, this taste, this fragrance, whatever you want to call it. It's like walking past the, the cookie shop, you know? You're like, whoa, I want some of that. And you get these longings. And Lewis says that no matter how we chase these on earth, they're never fully satisfied. And so his point is, if we are thirsty or hungry for something that never fully satisfies on this earth, in his mind, and I think he's right, it's evidence we were created for something more created for another place, right? And we only get a taste of it here. Lewis says though, here's kind of back to our point. He says that these longings that God gave the human race to create a thirst for heaven, we, we learn to deal with them in different ways. So the first way people deal with them is they chase them. They just chase them their whole life. They chase them out of their marriages into other relationships. They chase them into midlife crisis, into different careers. They chase them all over. And he says, most of those people that, that make joy or the pursuit of joy or whatever word you wanna use, they end up ruining their life. They end up usually ruining a lot of relationships because they're on this chase for something that can never really be met here on earth, right? You with me? But he says, there's a second way people deal with it. And that's the one I wanna talk about. He says, it's the, uh, you might call it the disillusioned sensible man approach. He puts sensible in quotes. He says, it's the disillusioned, sensible person who at some points as they get a little older, they realize, and this is quoting him now, he soon decides that the whole thing was moonshine. Like all these like hungers and longings for things when you were younger. Of course, he says, one feels like that when one is young, 
But by the time you get to my age, you've given up chasing the rainbow's end. And he settles down and learns not to expect, listen to how he says this, not to expect too much and represses the part of himself which used to, as he would say, cry for the moon. Lewis says it tends to make a person into a prig who acts rather superior towards what he calls adolescence. On the whole, he says, he rubs along quite comfortably. In other words, he learns how to just kind of manage his expectations. He doesn't upset the apple cart. He goes to work every day. He stays faithful in his, in his job, in his marriage, you know. He says, it would be, and I love this line. He says, it would be the best line we could take or the best approach. Look at this. If man did not live forever. Look what he says. But supposing infinite happiness really is there, waiting for us, supposing that one can really reach the rainbow's end. In that case, it would be a pity to find out too late, a moment after death, that by our supposed common sense, we had stifled ourselves in ourselves the faculty of enjoying it. We've just shut it down. I'm not gonna get my hopes up. I'm not gonna really believe in the resurrection. Yeah, maybe there is an afterlife. I hope there is, but I'm not really thinking about it. I'm just gonna, because I've got my hopes dashed. I had my prayers unanswered. I'm just gonna go through the motions. And friends, you can do that sitting right here in church. Zachariah did. He was right there in his duty as a priest and didn't have any hope. Sat right there in church. I think there's another kill joy. I think there's another thing that kills our joy besides unbelief. I think it's anxiety. And that's me. This is mine. More than anything, this is mine, right? Because I imagine a thousand ways things could go wrong, right? Let me just say, it's really hard to rejoice in life when you're always wondering if something's about to go bad, right? Like, I don't want to hug my kids too tight because what if one of them dies, right? I don't want to just fully let myself enjoy this moment because what if tomorrow isn't the same? See, it's focusing on the million things that could go wrong instead of what's right in front of us that sometimes kills our capacity to just be in the moment. I won't let myself rejoice because if something bad happens, I'll feel foolish. I think anxiety distracts us from joy. Last one, last one. Here's the last one. And this one's probably gonna be the hardest one. <clears throat> we, were, we were made, friends, we were made for a relationship with God. That's why he made us. And in that relationship, in God's presence, we experience the fullness of joy, the psalmist says. But if there's another kill joy today and a very common one, it's simply disobedience. It's when we're not really walking in the way we were made. It's when we're not really walking in this relationship with God instead of enjoying God's presence, right? If you're a theologian, the Westminster Confession, right? The, the whole purpose of man is to, is to enjoy God forever, right? Instead of that, we run from God like our forefathers in the garden, right? We hide behind the trees from his presence. We're not enjoying him. Notice what it says in Psalms 51. 
And this is what Paul or David says after his great sin with, with Bathsheba. He says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me what? The joy. David understood what that felt like to not have shame and guilt in his relationship with his creator. And so he's asking God to restore that joy that his disobedience had taken. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Jesus, he said these words. He says, if you keep my commandments, if you walk in this relationship with me, if you follow what I'm teaching you, you're gonna remain in my love. And I have kept my father's commandments and have remained in his love. Look at this, I've told you this so that my joy, this joy that you've seen me experience because I've been obedient to the father, you're gonna have the same joy complete in you. This is really what we were made for. We were made to experience the joyful union of a relationship with our, our creator. Jesus died on the cross to restore that relationship so that we can walk in joy. I think we have an enemy who prowls about constantly looking for ways to knock us off of that pedestal, right? To knock us, knock the feet out from underneath us, to keep us from really truly believing the promises of God keep sowing seeds of disbelief and doubt in our hearts so we truly don't rejoice in what God's promised us? Or if you're like me, constantly throwing in your mind the anxiety of what might happen? Or maybe if you're like me again, tempted to do things that are just disobedient. And that when I betray that relationship, I cut myself off from the joy of his presence. There's a, there's a letter in the Bible in the New Testament, a letter Paul wrote to Ephesians or to the Philippians. And, they, and, and Bible teachers call it the, the epistle of joy. The epistle of joy. The word joy is more in that letter than any other New Testament uh, book. Paul talks about joy more there than anywhere else. You wanna know the crazy thing about that letter? He's writing it from a prison cell. Now, how do you get a letter all about joy from a man in prison? And it's not like a prison today. I'm not saying prisons today are okay, they're not. But in those days, prisons were basically places where you were forgotten. And if you didn't have friends feeding you from the outside, you'd starve. And look what he writes from a prison cell. This is why I say hope and joy are connected because you can only write this if you have hope. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, you rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You see that hope? Paul is in prison. He said, but the Lord is near. I can rejoice. I can have joy in this prison because I believe the Lord is near. Do not be anxious, Brad. <laughs> Sometimes I put my name in there. You ever do that? You should do that. But in everything, instead of, Anxious, pray. I say this, and it's not original to me. If I can worry, I can pray, right? Basically, worry and pray are the same thing. You ever think about that? Because it just changes who you're talking to. Because when you're worried, you're just talking to yourself, right? But when you pray, you're talking to God. But you're really talking about the same stuff, right? So just take whatever you're worried about, and that is free, that nothing to do with our, but right? So, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, 
with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let's go back to Elizabeth. We left her a while ago, but we want to end here. This is in Luke chapter one. So good. Nine months later, Zach hadn't said a word. You have to read the story to know why. But the baby, John, is finally born. Luke chapter one, verse 58. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. She is an old lady and she just gave birth to a baby boy. And what'd they do? They shared with her joy. Joy. When's the last time you let yourself have joy? This Christmas, here's what I'm asking. Take the Christmas story and let that be the source of joy. Don't let the pandemic, the news, whatever else, take away the joy that is yours. I wanna read one more text. It's in the book of 1 Peter. It's not gonna be on my screen. But look what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter one. And he says these words. Though you have not seen him, this is in verse eight, you love him. That's us, friends. We haven't got a chance to see Jesus, but we love him. Look what he goes on and says, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. There's that hope. And because of that, you are filled with inexpressible and glorious, what? Joy. Joy should be on your face because you know Jesus. Maybe today though, you have never yet committed your life to Jesus. Maybe today you've never surrendered your life to King Jesus. And I wanna just say, every time we do a sermon at our church, we always wanna present the gospel. Here's the gospel, God loves you. He doesn't care what you've done. You, you are not disqualified. I don't care what the enemy says or anyone else has said, God loves you and he loved you so much that he sent his only son to come into this world, to take upon himself the penalty for our sin so that we could have a restored relationship with God. And if you put your faith in Jesus, King Jesus, the one who died and rose again, you can have eternal life. And that joy could never be taken from you. No matter what happens on this earth, it's unshakable because Jesus, his promise is sure. Today can be the day of your salvation. If you are a believer, I just wanna ask you right now, would you just please let joy have its way? in your life today, this season. Guys, do some things this Christmas that just let yourself enjoy it, right? Stop letting whatever else take your mind off of it. Your children need moms and dads that are full of joy in their homes. They need that, friends. Take this sermon. Determine not to let anyone steal your joy. When you go to work tomorrow, I want people to think, man, what kind of stuff are you on? Man, I'm on Jesus because he changed the world and there's a reason for hope, man, come on. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. God, I thank you that we have reasons for joy, that our joy is not tied up into our circumstance, which changes all the time, but it can be tied up into the hope and the promises of God. Lord, there are some here today that need to be reminded of these promises. Please, Lord, defeat the enemy's lies in their heart. 
that would tell them that they are, they are forgotten, that you are away from them. Father, would you just do a work in this place? Can I just invite the church to stand right now before we dismiss?